breaking news. A madman has seized control of the nation's airwaves, broadcasting his demands on every channel, search engine, and social media network. Protected by his army of hardened, cold-blooded mercenaries, this menace only wants one thing, the immediate surrender of the presidency to him and his cronies. His name is Michael Rubens Bloomberg. Boo! (laughs) Boo! Bloomberg! Bloomberg! Oh my god. this guy has decided to do something that's literally never happened before in American political history. Like there's never been an oligarch who's just straight up gone. You know what? I'm just going to like buy the presidency with some Lenten pocket change. Hey, you are, you're being actually correct right now because every other person who's bought the presidency has really had to like, go ham on their finances like let's be real trump doesn't have any actual liquid assets oh hell no like you you don't get to carry you don't get that much of an allowance when your fortune mostly exists to launder awful people's money oh yeah no 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 one's fucking his his like fucking guys running trump incorporated or whatever it's called are not, like, giving him, like, $250 million to just blow on stupid shit. <laughs> I mean, from what I understand, he had to spend, like, a good chunk of his nut just to actually do all this because the GOP wouldn't help him. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, he he had to spend his, like, own actual money, mm-hmm. which is not much. Like, yeah. I am one of those people who does not believe that Trump was a billionaire in 2015. Oh, he absolutely so. wasn't. Like, that's really the biggest reason he didn't want to release his tax returns. It's not because releasing his tax returns would have people going, holy shit, how did you find the accountant that could have saved Al Capone? But because it would expose <laughs> that he doesn't actually have a billion dollars in assets compared to his debts and all his other who knows what the fuck's in there like bloomberg like i mean like there was a tweet going around that's like absolutely dead on that for him 250 million dollars is like if you had 500 bucks in your bank account and you had to drop 325 for a bus ticket it was 275 oh yeah yeah yeah, i know which one you're talking about this is the price of a bus ticket him this is less the price of a bus ticket for me than it is fucking I don't have five hundred dollars. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> I do, but it has to last me the rest of the quarter. <laughs> yeah, that it's 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 just so like. I mean, it. I mean, just even before we can talk about the shit that you know puts him right in the crosshairs of like a 
Gonzo Economic News podcast, is you really got to think about that like a billion, one billion is a thousand millions. So that's mm-hmm. like. Yeah. Okay. Imagine you know a guy who's worth $10 million. That guy owns three big houses and a business. Imagine 10 of those guys. And then imagine those guys were all worth 10 times as much. And that's one billionaire. Yeah. I mean, this is scales of money that are comparable to city budgets here. Like, like the amount of money Bloomberg has, it would probably like put him in like the middle tier of like, if he was an economy in, of the States in the United States, like by himself. Oh yeah. I think he's worth more than fucking Wyoming. Um, (laughs) Well, um, I mean, like, here's the thing. Way back in the day, back when, you know, you probably actually had a shot at winning the dot-com lottery. um, $5 million was considered fuck you money. That would, you know, completely buy out your life. You would no longer have to work. You would no longer have to put up with a boss's demands just to, you know, have the means for survival. You could just fall back on your money at any time. And that that's a small fraction of a billion. That's a really small fraction of 62 billion. His opposite in the campaign, Bernie Sanders, as an example, Bernie is like worth like what? Around like $2 million. Two million in assets, I believe. Oh yeah, he owns a cabin in the mountains. Yeah, he has a house. He owns a cabin, and I think he has like another. He has a townhome in D.C. He has a house in Burlington, and he has a cabin in the mountains of Vermont. And his wife is a doctor. On top of that, two of those places are still on their mortgage, so his net worth is less. And he also bought those places like back when they would have been dirt cheap compared to what they're worth. Yeah, now. especially on a senator or a representative's salary. No, it's he. If you're like a representative making what, like 150k in like 1992, and you've got a wife that's making like 90k as a doctor, you can afford two houses. You can maybe afford three houses if one of them is a little cabin in the woods you know like the house in dc is basically the cost of doing business at that point like everyone who's in congress has a flat or something in washington dc yeah you need a place to live in dc if you work in dc but he also works in lives in vermont so he needs a place there and then of course he does have a cabin in the woods because his wife is a doctor and he's a senator. Yeah. And... <laughs> it's it's so fucking stupid. This is this is that shit we were talking about where I normally am like, oh yeah, Bernard, this fucking social democrat, he's a fucking electoralist and he'll never liberate us from capitalism. But like once he gets any criticism, I'm like, I will fucking kill you you have no idea the power at my hands i will rip your fucking chest open and eat your heart do not talk about bernie 
How dare you talk about socialist grandpa one of 69? <laughs> yeah. He is my proxy Brooklyn Jewish grandpa, and we love exactly. him. Fuck you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, but yeah, so we're looking at like a difference of like fucking uh, Bernie's net worth of like 2 million at the age of what is he 73 76 78 78? yeah at the age of 78 after working at a job with a salary and with a wife that also makes a shit ton of money it's that's not working yeah that's yeah. not fucking he's not a capitalist he's not like selling his labor really because I don't know. I feel like that's just getting calling politicians workers just fucks with me too much. So, but like, like I feel like he actually did real work while he was in office. Yeah, no, he shows up. He he shows up to work and he gets paid for it. And his wife. So they're they're making like they're worth two million. So how many Bernard and Jameses do you need? to get to Bloomberg. Well, 30,000, give or take. You need 30,000. That is the size of a college town. <laughs> it's it's bullshit. Yeah. This is a guy who could legitimately like pull out his wallet and say, "I would like to buy a city government, please." Hold on, I can like do this with my walking around money. Yeah. Like the amount that he's blowing on this presidential campaign, which is like a totally unprecedented amount. Like it is I mean, first off, there's literally never been in America there's never been an instance in American history where some insanely high powered capitalist like Bloomberg decided to be like, eh, fuck it. I'm gonna run for president. That's like literally never happened. Mm -hmm. And the amount he's spending is it's less than his returns. It's less than his returns. That's what it is. It's less than his returns, but it's still, it's the largest sum that's ever been dropped into a single presidential campaign in history so far. And he's not even the fucking nominee. He's not even the only one yeah. who's doing this. He's not though. even the Democratic candidate. Like, even Steyer, an actual hedge fund manager. That's because he only has 1.6. And I hate to be the one who's like, he's only got 1.6. I mean, he's giving up a significant portion of his nut to do this. Yeah. Yeah. Which is the difference between him and Bloomberg. Now, do I think that he should be president? No. Absolutely not. <laughs> Would you describe Michael Bloomberg as, say, a Mr. Peanut and uh, Tom Steyer as a uh, baby nut? Is that how you would uh, describe their fortune? Cursed, cursed, cursed. <laughs> None of you are free of cursed. <laughs> um, but yes. I'm not sure that works. Because that's like... <laughs> like, it's not just that he could, you know, buy a state or something with his pocket money. Which, you know, he effectively has in a lot of cases. But it's that he also is... Like, the way he's gotten rich is because he is literally, like, probably one of the most powerful men in the world of international business and finance there is. Because he he basically controls, like, one of the... And we've used their stuff 
last week and we still use their stuff because it's accurate is the Bloomberg News Network and wire service. Yeah. Like, and they absolutely dominate finance, international business, all that shit. They all read this. Like all these fucking ghouls read this the first thing they get up in the morning to see what's going on. Yeah, because yeah, it's the it's the accurate stuff. It really is. Even the Wall Street Journal is pretty uh, fucking fudgy with shit. And Bloomberg, they try to report for the investors accurately enough to where the investors can act on it, you know? Accurately yeah. enough. I mean, they've had some scandals, like the whole, um, oh, what was it? The whole super micro implant thing where they asserted that tiny chips were inserted onto the BMCs of a whole bunch of cloud server motherboards. And they had no fucking proof for this. It, it's an attack that's like theoretically possible. There's been proof of concept, but the supply chain attack that they were talking about, only Bloomberg has stood by the story. Everyone's tried to replicate it nobody's actually managed to find one of these compromised servers. Except, apparently, for Bloomberg. Somehow. Well, you know, it is a it is a Bloomberg uh, thing, so it ultimately serves the interest of oh, I'm the sure. owner of the capital, which is Bloomberg. And somehow that serves his interest, I'm sure. Yeah. But... And I mean, I I mean, I don't know. Maybe he was mad at Bezos that day. Bloomberg News has done some pretty actively foul shit. Yeah, like that goes above and beyond, like slipping up in reporting and pushing questionable claims, which they've done a few times. There's like a particular one, and you can find this at Real Clear Investigations. Like this article just came out on February 18th, like titled "Investigative Issues: When Bloomberg News is Reporting on China Was Challenged." Bloomberg tried to ruin me for speaking out. And this is by who was not even working for Bloomberg News, by the way. Was not a Bloomberg, like had nothing to do with the company in any way. But what happened was working on a PhD in sociology in Beijing. And her husband, Michael Forsyth, was lead writer on a Bloomberg News article about the vast accumulation of wealth by relatives of Chinese President Xi Jinping. And part of this whole, like, revolution to riches story they were doing. And soon after, it basically became no longer safe for them to stay. And they were forced to relocate um, because this particular was happening when, like, a prominent uh, British businessman had allegedly been poisoned by the wife of a senior Chinese leader. And basically all kinds of hairy shit. But anyway, so Letta Hong Fincher tweeted that there was this government pressure happening publicly, which was after the New York Times had written something publicly about it. And a Bloomberg manager immediately called her husband and said, get your wife to delete her tweets. Oh, shit. Just for confirming that they faced harassment from the government of the People's Republic of China for writing a news article that did not make them look good. And she tweeted about it. Well, yeah, that was enough for like a Bloomberg manager to be like, she needs to delete that tweet immediately. I mean, this is ultimately the problem of all the major media in the United States, and is that that they're run for a profit. The purpose is to make money, and the secondary purpose is to further the interests of those who own it. And so, attacking the PRC doesn't help them at all in any way. No, 
and they killed the story at the last mm-hmm. minute in the end anyway because it doesn't make Xi Jinping look good. Oh, and speaking of stories, welcome y'all to Chop Shop Radio. You read this <laughs> shit so you don't have to. <laughs> yeah, it's the it's the Bloomberg, it's the fucking Wall Street Journal, it's the Financial Times. It's do you read the Economist, Doc? Yeah. I mean they're pretty good. Oh fuck. Yeah. No. Okay. So there you go. It's even the Economist. I mean, you know, Financial Times, all that, and they all have like various species of brain worms, but they're accurate. So we need to get back on track with this fucking Bloomberg shit, because like it's one thing for his media company to be bad. That's what citations needed is for. That's what they go on about. What is up with fucking Bloomberg and fucking his oligarchic self? I mean, I'd like to like expand on this a little bit because I I, I sort of feel like we haven't really discussed how Bloomberg got his money in the first place. Oh yeah, like how he got into the position of being the guy who has his hand around the throat of Wall Street. Pretty much. He invented the ticker. Am I correct? I don't really understand I mean, it. I don't think he's that Not old, quite. but that's because there's no proof. <laughs> <laughs> Let me see the birth certificate. Social security <laughs> number one. Michael Bloomberg was born in the, in the English colony of Virginia. Um... <laughs> No, no. I mean, it's like, what it is is, um, and I've never actually seen a Bloomberg terminal because, you know, I don't want to give myself that level of brain worms. But the whole point of it was that it was a computerized wire service that delivered both real-time stock updates and news. And it concentrated it all into one place, one terminal, so that you didn't have to use the rest of your screens for just keeping up with new and keeping up with the primary ticker. You could use the rest of your computer monitors for other things, like actually buying and selling stocks. And that's that's how he got his money. Yeah, it, making it possible for Wall Street to do really stupid things faster and bigger. <laughs> so did he like actually invent this or did he just like he dropped 10 million like fund the team <laughs> yeah like so he yeah. had to start with that 10 million <laughs> that's the thing. he likes to tell this whole like fucking horatio alger like pulled myself up by my bootstrap story but he was from a pretty well-to-do family in new england i mean yeah he paid his way through john hopkins but that's back when you could actually you know for john hopkins on a salary and then yeah back when you could pay for college instead of going to debt for it yeah and of course like all the other fucking ghouls that have like been running the like financial system since entirely too long he got his master's in breaking anything from good old harvard good old harvard i mean like yeah it's so he's just like one of those fucking New England wasp fucking he's he's one of those guys. Yeah. He's fucking part of that club. Like he legitimately 
for Wall in Wall Street terms anyway, made his money by starting at the bottom. I mean, granted, at the bottom with like a degree from Johns Hopkins is probably very different from, you know, someone with a degree from a state university or no degree at all. But hey, you know, uh, so he worked his way up at Solomon Brothers, which was a pretty big Wall Street bank trading firm, all that kind of stuff, um, and got himself up to level like partner and then like sold out his stake in 1981, which is worth like $10 million. So he is like, I mean, he started pretty well off and then just climbs up the fucking ladder of this whole fucking blood sucking enterprise. So he took the finance elevator of the 80s. Yeah. That's what he did. Yeah. Yeah. The thing that made like our current fucking finance class into like a thing. He just got in on that. <laughs> like, like he talks about it like he's some like self-made genius. It's like getting in on like laying a stake in fucking the fucking West when it's opened up for colonization and just going there and getting free shit. It, it, it just does not seem to me like a fucking any kind of productive endeavor. You know? Yeah. Like even like fucking andrew carnegie who was an absolute scumbag on every level actually worked in steel mills before he owned one and actually did something resembling labor i mean like and even the thing is even like without labor at least they were like owning things that were productive they were owning actual productive forces like steel mills and (laughs) now now it's more just like, mm, yes, I own the idea of something, or I own the rights to just a bunch of money. And that money is what I own and makes me more money. It's not even I own a tangible asset. I own money that owns things, you know? Also worth pointing out, by the way, that Bloomberg LP has never been a publicly traded corporation in its entire existence. At the beginning, it had some seed money from Merrill Lynch, who had a like 33% share, but that stake was eventually bought out by Bloomberg, like with like I was thinking it was like 10, 12 years ago. So it's important to remember that like for its entire existence, Bloomberg has basically been in complete control of his company to do whatever the fuck he wants with it. Well, when you know where all the money comes from and you know all the investors you don't need to make like a public offering you just talk around to people and you go like hey could i get a million here could i get a million there like and even if he needed those couple million which i don't think he did at any point he got that 10 million from being from selling out his partnership This is a guy who's totally basically not been accountable in any meaningful way to other people for like 40 years. Has been like king in his own little castle for like 40 years doing whatever the fuck he wants with it. You know, within like the bounds of what you can do with a corporation anyway. But when you've got like a privately held company and you hold like a 70% stake, it's basically your fucking toy. You can do what you want with it. Oh, yeah. I think that's what gave him the fucking hubris to run for fucking mayor of New York City. This guy is just a banker. He's literally just a Wall Street guy who fucking makes money off of making money. And like the whole point of the Bloomberg terminal is you sell this package, which used to be priced per screen back in the day. 
Nowadays, it's priced per user. Do you know how much you have to pay for the basic system per year? $22,500 for one seat per year. And this is like 1981 money, right? No, this is this is the current price. Now, I don't know what the I don't know what the per terminal cost was, but I can't imagine it was that much cheap. Basically selling tech for the price of a car. Yeah. Yeah. And this is well, like the thing is his his audience is what? Like a thousand guys? No. Like no. That's that's the thing. That's the thing. This is to do any real finance reporting, to do much of anything with, you know, financial tech that touches on stocks, bonds, commodity markets, all that stuff. You have to pay to play. Even if you're a private citizen, you have to pay them that twenty-two-five to get access to these core terminal services. And they give a huge competitive advantage for anyone who has them. So he is like, he's basically like a tech CEO before that was even a thing. Yes. This guy was doing Jeff Bezos shit on Wall Street. Who owns this? Just like every fucking little fucking green square place edward jones does every little edward jones branch have one they have multiple because it's per user oh shit yeah yeah software as a service infrastructure as a service can if you charge enough be a very lucrative business so he basically he owns the backbone of all investments all finance basically and on top of that he has his news service which is both a wire service, which is huge because wire service is basically, you can't do international news reporting without wire service. Like it just cannot be done on a national or international scale. So that he is basically the main news wire service is not just a question of having a tremendous amount of influence. It's that his wire service and Bloomberg News are pay to play as well. Like you can get around the wow. 10 article limit with like VPNs and stuff like, and private browser settings and stuff like that. But that's also pay to play and always has been. Like it's never been about like, oh, we need ad sales revenue. And so you've got to pay to get this news. And if you're not getting this news or using this tech, you are at a disadvantage on Wall Street or anywhere in the financial world. Let me put it this way. There are even customers in the federal government for Bloomberg services. Oh, yeah, I, I had no doubt about that. All the central banks use him. It's just... He has effective monopoly over all this shit. So, I mean, this is how this guy, like, he makes Rupert Murdoch look like a kid playing with a blog. God damn. And so, of course, there was, like, no opposition to him becoming mayor in New York. Because he owns the city. God damn. <laughs> I mean, there was, but nobody listened to them. Yeah. And this is how he's then been able to basically do the exact, like, it's really funny that, like, the fucking shit libs are freaking out about, oh my god, Bernie Sanders might be getting help from the Russian government, when it's like, the way Bloomberg has used his money in political ways is exactly the fucking same as the Saudis and Putin and all these other really fucking shitty people. Oh man, no, that's just the the whole like Russian thing is just fucking basic baby nationalism. It's just it's defining yourself by like borders of the country, defining your interest by a government and fucking 
borders and shit. It's stupid. I hate it. I no fucking <laughs> Russian interference. What about the interference of fucking billionaires like fucking Bloomberg? You know, they own everything and they get to do whatever the fuck they want. Putin at least gets stopped by like security services. You know, yeah. Fucking, there's someone fighting the KGB. There's no one fighting fucking Bloomberg. And this is like a thing that's been going on for a while. Is he'll just casually be like, "Oh, my th- philanthropy is going to drop like a twenty million in a five year investment in this like considered to be blighted neighborhood." Or, "Oh, hi, Mister Mayor, Senator, Congressman. Here's a big fat donation to your pack. You know, like here's a million here, ten million there." Like, money that he's, like, fucking pennies. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, this guy is fucking Lex Luthor. He, like, Jeff Bezos isn't Lex Luthor. Jeff Bezos is, like, this fucking sad divorcee who runs this, like, fucking prison. But, like, he doesn't want to take over the world. Bloomberg does. And he is currently doing so. He wants to corner a part of it. But he doesn't want to rule it. Yeah. Bezos just Bloomberg wants to rule. Bezos just wants to be like the richest guy in the world. Yeah. <laughs> like, that seems to be his thing. Like Bloomberg probably has like a cryogenic pod in the like in some kind of deep bunker under his like Manhattan penthouse that's all prepped and ready to just like plug him in when his body starts to finally give way after like millions of dollars in <laughs> shit like changing his blood like in car. Uh, finally stops working and he's probably got this thing all prepped <laughs> so that he could just like seal himself up like walt disney and just keep running his fucking empire for like eternity yeah this guy's like probably got some mr house shit going on i mean like bloomberg is really kind of the boogeyman you know for billionaires for capital for the influence of the rich here in america it's just like he is yeah. the fucking devil. Like, he is the king of evil. <laughs> like, there's no one beyond Bloomberg. There isn't. There's like... And it isn't just that he's this absurdly rich and powerful person who, you know, the whole thing of, like, retail versus wholesale bribery, retail bribery, where it's like, hi, I'm a corrupt cop, pay me money, or I'm going to shake you down and give you a shitty ticket. And then there's the wholesale, which is, you know, buying congressmen. And then there's fucking Bloomberg, who's just, like, operating in the realm of acquisitions. Oh, yeah, no, fucking Bloomberg owns the bribery factory. Like, <laughs> like he is the guy. That, <laughs> He's CEO of bribery. It's not just all that shit. It's that this guy is also, like, the way he runs his company and the way his company's branded is just really kind of creepy as fuck when you start reading about it like here's a great one which is on quartz written by zachary m seward who's the current ceo of quartz titled bloomberg's culture is all about omniscience down to the last keystroke and it starts with at bloomberg omniscience is a feature not a bug the company's new york city skyscraper unfurls around its courtyard like a panopticon Inside the decor is punctuated at every turn of fish tanks. No one has an office to hide in. And the meeting rooms are enclosed in clear glass. Visit any of Bloomberg's 192 offices and you are forever stored in the system. 
come back years later on the other side of the world and the same photograph will grace your name tag. Employees carry two IDs. First gets them into the building, logging their locations for anyone on staff to look up. The other unit, which some Bloomberg customers use as well, is called the B unit for biometric. It reads their fingerprints to permit home access to their terminals. This, by the way, was published in 2013. Cool. Yeah, uh, definitely have not increased, like, cyberneticism since then. No way. Fuck. Not for you, sir, sadly. There's, like... What what do they, I wonder what they have now? Like retina scans? You fucking chomp down on something for like a fucking tooth print to fucking get into a door? Like, are you? You know what? Actually, it's probably much simpler than that. They probably just chip them. Yeah, they probably do. He would do that. They probably just chip everyone, and it's part of the <laughs> NDA, and that's why we can't fucking we don't know about. Yeah. It. Because of his fucking airtight NDA. And he's like, and he's totally like rolls with this. This creepiness is like not new with Bloomberg. Like, and he's really seems to think this is a good idea to extend this total like, no, we totally don't have fucking cameras in your bloodstream mentality to society. Like in 2014, reported by Alex Emmons. Uh, on February 14th, on The Intercept, headline is Mike Bloomberg in 2014. We should hope the NSA is, quote, reading every email. This and is there's a whole thing. video on that. Bloomberg like, is this fucking... There's a video. Oh, Bloomberg is... He's the fucking epitome. He is this idea of the liberal Stalinist. He is full on liberal stalin like market stalinism he wants fucking stalinism he wants this fucking panopticon he wants this fucking deutsche democratic republic fucking gauzy shit where everyone is being watched constantly and every movement is controlled but he wants it within like a fucking market system where people are like insured their constitutional rights and individual rights are respected it's it's this fucking whole thing and it's not just bloomberg of course there's a reason why the patriot act fucking passed but like that's how he ran new york too he fucking yeah. he he's the fucking ceo of racism <laughs> like stop and frisk stop and frisk like I mean, I know Chapo loves to joke about the racism factory, but like we do have a racism CEO. Yeah, there might not be a racism factory, but there is a CEO of racism, and it is Michael fucking Bloomberg. He fucking okay. So Stop and Frisk had like six thousand Stop and Frisks the year before he started, and it peaked at like a million a year, like during his fucking tenure as you know lord of all surveys from fucking manhattan wasn't there like one year where there were more stop and frisk of black new yorkers than there were black new yorkers yes there were they were stopping frisking people so many times that most people had been most young black men had been in new york had been stopped and frisked multiple times in one multiple times in one month even yeah multiple times in a month 
even I have gotten like a little glimpse of that just walking around my like suburban neighborhood. I've been stopped by the police multiple times, but I was never frisked. If I was frisked, I'd be screwed. But like, <laughs> like this guy, he wants the full police state. He wants to rule the peasants with an iron fist. He straight up said in one interview, well, like the NYPD is the world's largest private army. It's like, excuse me, what the fuck? And on to make this even more sick, which brings us back to the campaign, like thousands of people were sent to prison. Like there were all kinds of reports of just simply awful conditions at Rikers Island because of his policies and also just basically letting the NYPD do whatever the hell they wanted to. Is then a lot of these people that go to prison end up prison labor, which Bloomberg was recently caught using for phone canvassing. This guy <laughs> literally uses slaves to run his campaign to like make this guy Please uses slave up. labor to fucking become president. <laughs> oh this god. guy, oh my god, I just he is just so. Black. Fucking evil. It's like, I. And there's no other word for it. This guy's a fucking Bond villain. It's insane. I mean, shit, they like had that stupid plot back in like, what was it, Tomorrow Never Dies in the 90s, where some media mogul tries to like boost his ratings by starting World War III between the UK and China. And of course, like 007 runs around shirtless and gets with the his Chinese opposite number. This is, like, he literally could actually do that if he wanted to. Like, he could actually start a war with his fucking news I mean, network and influence. Like, who's to say he hasn't? How would we fucking know? I mean, like, he's, like, his media is part of that complex that pushes these wars every time they happen. Like, who's to say that he isn't part of, like, the impetus? Who isn't part of, like, the, like, seed ideas of these wars? And I mean, like, he probably isn't, but maybe he is. Last month, he publicly, like, I can't believe he fucking said this in public, said, oh yeah, the Iraq war was a great idea. The not direct quote, but basically said that he thought it was justified and still supported the Iraq war. Even the Bushes have been really quiet about the Iraq war ever since W got chucked out of office. That's like Dick Cheney territory. Yeah. He, he's just this like unapologetic fucking oligarch who wants to be our fucking Jupiterian monarch. He would like of all of the people like that shouldn't be president. It is Bloomberg. It is Bloomberg who should not be president. If anything, he should be fucking like sent to Rikers and executed. Like. That is because he has committed crimes against humanity. His infrastructure is basically what runs modern Wall Street. He's arguably indirectly responsible for every single fucking bubble since 1987 when the savings and loan one hit. Yeah, and like, no, seriously, like, honestly, I, I swear to God, it would be... <laughs> so, I, if I was fucking like in charge of anything i would send him to the international criminal court i would send him to the hog and i would fucking 
I would Wilbur for the hog. I would dream. I would dream that he goes down like that one guy who fucking just took the cyanide. You know? Oh, God. And about him, like, you know, creating the conditions for the bubble. Like, one thing about the terminal they don't really talk about a lot, but that you can totally do is it's also really good for analysis. And you know, it has like a whole API for it. It's had it since like the 90s. All of these high frequency trading systems, the ones that caused the occasional flash crash and, you know, blew up the whole 2008 thing, they are fed from the Bloomberg terminal. The way they make the decisions on which stocks to buy and sell in their strategic model, he provides that. He provides the interface. He provides the collated data in a standard format that any HFT package can handle. Yeah, it's, I mean, like, he he controls this, like, backbone of finance that fucking, at this point in history, just runs America. And fucking yeah, yeah. Britain, too, now. Uh, yeah. And Good luck there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, he had the speaking of 2008. Um, he had these extremely good taste to release some pretty choice statements on that. Uh, first off, blaming the end of redlining for oh, yeah. the 2008 crash because you know he wants to be a turbo race. <laughs> like I said, CEO of racism. <laughs> like this guy is like. This guy is as cartoonishly racist as Trump. Like, he just yeah. says these super racist things and he does even more racist stuff than Trump yeah. did before he was elected president. Like, yeah, it's insane. It's like, I mean, like to compare the two, Trump allegedly refused to rent to black people. Says after it's both large, partly his fault that 2008 happened because of all his information systems making it possible in some ways fueling it because you really don't see much critical reporting of the housing bubble in Bloomberg until it's actually blowing up that he then turns around and goes, well, it's that we started allowing poor black people to buy houses in the same neighborhoods as white people, which happened in the seventies. Yeah. Yeah. No, he blamed black people having equal rights for the crash. That is like, that's amazing. Uh, I don't know. It's, uh, he's just black. So, why is this guy a presidential candidate again? Why? He's trying to buy the nomination with literal fucking Linton pocket change. Yeah, no, he he's he's the presidential nominee because he thinks that there's an opening for him to be president. And he wants to be president more than anything in the world. Like But that's so stupid. He has so many liabilities. It's all game to if him. If he becomes president no, if he becomes president it's all over folks it really is no like if he becomes president he will like arrest congress like people and stuff like i have zero doubt he will arrest people maybe not bernie sanders because bernie sanders is too high profile and will die eventually but like you're gonna see like aoc be like arrested for terroristic threats for like a tweet you know yeah. You're going to see this kind of shit. And 
that it'll run through the courts. It'll run through the courts. They might be released, but they'll be in jail for their reelection. You know. And we know he would do this shit because that's exactly what he did before the 2004 Republican National Convention. He sent the NYPD out to preemptively arrest thousands of activists who were planning on protesting the Republican Convention. And then when Occupy Wall Street was getting started, he sent in the NYPD to raid Zuccotti Park in direct defiance of a court order telling him, no, you're supposed to respect these people's civil rights. Like, the lawsuits from both those incidents alone. Oh, yeah, and the, him fighting to keep the Central Park Five locked up. Like, the lawsuits from all those cost the city, like, $80 million, give or take. That's pocket change. See, even if he ends up being person... The thing is, if he's president, he is not personally liable for anything unless Congress votes majority that he is. There's no mechanism for arresting him for abusing his power. If he uses, yeah, not anymore. There's no mechanism for if he rounds up Congress and like forces them all to like walk into a room one by one and then no one knows what happens in that room. There's no mechanism to stop him. And you know that the Marines would do it. You know the Secret Service would do it. You know ICE would do it. Or he'd at least find the people that'd be willing to do it and keep the ones who aren't away. He would be able to. He would be able to. He's He was able to cultivate the fucking NYPD from, like, just one of those really corrupt, bad police departments, like Baltimore or something, into this fucking oppressive Gestapo force. And here's the thing. And- if that ever gets out, it is over. It yeah, is no, over. No, it's, well, it's, because it's he all over. Decided, you know, fuck it. I'm going to just completely blow up the social peace. I don't care. I have enough money. I'm insulated. With fucking Bloomberg, I don't, like, with, there's all these kind of things where it's like, if if this guy gets elected, who knows what'll happen. You know, like, I was really worried about, uh, say, when Trump got elected, him putting Mexicans in camps. And, you know, that was just mere hysteria. But, uh. <laughs> I mean that didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so perish the thought. And like, but like it's not like some like complex conspiracy theory of like, oh, you know, Uber gets in power, he does a false flag terrorist attack, he uses that status of emergency to like send martial law across the country and then he has iron fist no i think he would do it much more simply i think he would just simply use the powers of the presidency to do whatever he wanted and just like executive order assault rifle ban you know executive order pistol ban and if the courts say no then he goes andrew jackson style oh yeah uh, i'd like to see the courts make me you know and then what do you do? Yeah. When he's not turning around and going, here's a giant yeah. sack of money. Yeah. He'd be like, Here you go. it's just a combination of those two. Because, like, he's just like... What seems really funny about that is he has no appreciation for the limits of money as power. None. He, he thinks he can just buy his way to whatever the hell he wants 
and he doesn't understand quite possibly doesn't even care that you know at some point someone has to carry out his orders i think that you see the nypd and that is Mm -hmm. him knowing how to get people to carry out his orders and that is by giving them what they giving these fucking psycho reactionaries exactly what they whatever they want you know he he just goes like oh yeah nypd yeah you guys are just not going to ever be stopped from doing anything you know like oh yeah there yeah. i mean best case scenario if bloomberg gets in it's called hi the united states is officially now a billionaire oligarchy. like we're not even pretending anymore we're yeah, not using indirect not- means because of we're assuming we're like best case scenario bloomberg gets in and is a complete shithead and does lots of civil rights violations at least on the scale of trump and that kind of thing continues but in a more ruthlessly competent way um best case scenario is the next guy that's going to run for that slot is going to be like mark zuckerberg versus jeff bezos or something worst case scenario is he just simply becomes fucking the dictator he he just does because he has we we've already the, the United States government has already since nine eleven inculcated ideologically correct and fanatically loyal military and paramilitary groups that work for the president. That is a thing that exists already. What more do you need for a presidential coup? All you need is the will. And Bloomberg has that will. I believe he does. I mean, another example from when he was mayor of New York, he, Giuliani flirted with trying to run for a third term after 9-11, but he declined because there was a longstanding law in New York that was passed by voter proposition. So at the ballot direct referendum, limiting the mayor's office to two terms. Mm-hmm. And, that, and Giuliani's a fucking creep, but he didn't try to like, you know, monkey around with, the will of the people of New York to that extent. Bloomberg total like after promising that he would respect it, then turned around and lobbied, read, gave massive donations to a bunch of city councilmen to get them to change the law for him so he could run for a third yeah. term. Like he sort of lied about respecting it and then was like, oh well, I want to be mayor of New York for another four years. So yeah. here, give it to me. Yeah. And you know, and as just a mere billionaire mayor of New York, he couldn't get that done. But the president is even more than just the pre- than the mayor of New York. I think people really uh, underestimate the powers of the president because of Obama and Trump. You know, like yeah. uh, us older Obama. folks, us ancient wizards you know <laughs> those who remember the days of old Bush. comrades yeah bush kind of like they did whatever they wanted yeah they just congress basically let them run wild until 2006 they just fucking black bagged people like not many people remember yeah. this but they black bagged people their families oh, yeah. they, they stepped up and nothing happened. there's nothing like it, it, what happened is it, they died in the courts because everything was classified and stuff. Yeah. They, like, and that's the thing. And Obama, like, he kind of stopped that. 
And I think Trump's not doing it because he's not smart enough to figure out how. You know? I think he's got that, like, certain low cunning of, like, a carnival barker or a con man. But, like, Trump's biggest problem seems to be that he has, like, the span of a lobotomized goldfish. So even if it is something that he understands, he's going to pursue it for five seconds until, like, somebody jingles keys or something. Yeah, and, like, I'm just saying that the uh, power of the presidency is more powerful than it was during the Bush years. And uh, ICE and the Marines are more ideologically inculcated and more loyal than they were back then it's it's a continuing process and bloomberg is uh the devil and will kill us all (laughs) yeah so i mean if he's allowed to like i mean but again that whole thing of he's hitting the limits of money i bet he wishes he could buy a new debate performance yeah yeah you know there's uh he's hitting the limits of money and i think that's why he's running for president you know he realized yeah. the limits of money. He realized that even being mayor of New York, which is one of the strongest executives in the country, let's not beat around the bush. The mayor of New York is. Yeah, this isn't like fucking South Bend. Yeah, this isn't fucking South Bend. And this isn't <laughs> even a city where like the mayorality is just like the chair of the council. It is a true executive position where, like, they run a lot of the city. And so, it's not... He's he's running for president for a fucking reason, you know? If he was cool with just being a billionaire and having all the power that being a gigantic fucking billionaire gives you, he wouldn't be running for president, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's... Even though he is hitting those limits of money i mean regardless of your opinions on electoral politics bloomberg versus trump means we're all gonna lose doesn't matter what you think about electoralism or its values so like mm-hmm. if you're giving any thought to what's going on with the presidential race like the most important thing i think anyone can be doing is their level best to absolutely rat fuck bloomberg in every way possible with his really just with who he is oh yeah yeah no everyone like this thing is like mayor pete would be a goddamn utopia compared to fucking president bloomberg like (laughs) this guy (laughs) like like i i i hated uh for all of the things that basically bloomberg is like he like we hate Buttigieg because he's like a guy that is like one of Bloomberg's cronies, you know? Like, yeah, he's just like he's he's like one of those fucking remoras on the whale shark of Bloomberg, you know? But at least like he can yes. pretend to give a shit about other human beings. Yeah, he's not the fucking. He's not great at it, but he can do he it. He isn't the fucking great white that is going to eat us. You know, that's the thing. Yeah, like exactly. Like and this guy can't like. And, and you know, Trump would probably clean his clock anyway because he's. Oh yeah, there, there's barely any chance of Bloomberg winning the election unless there's like sabotage and stuff involved, or of course, unless the economy collapses before the election. Oh yeah that's that's a worry because 
in the current situation, all Trump has to do is get up on the debate stage. He only has to do it once. Um, he only has to have one debate with this guy um, because he's already said he's not going to do any others. But all he has to say is Mike uh, Bloomberg supported a soda ban. And he gets 538 electoral votes. Yeah. That's I mean, the yeah. fucking second. Easily, easily. I mean, and you can disagree, like, with, like, there's a lot of liberals and such who think that, yeah, maybe a soda ban or soda tax or whatever is a really good idea. But let me put it this way. Nobody in the red states is going to go for it. There aren't enough people in the blue states who are going to be fine with that. Because if he restricts something as petty as soda, he'll restrict something else. Yeah. And he will materially impact your freedom. Yeah. And I mean, like, like the, no, but like, uh, there, Bloomberg stands and no it would chance just, you know, totally. Unless... <laughs> the economy collapse and then trump gets all the blame and bloomberg rides in as this guy who's like i pulled i pulled. yeah you may not like me but i am a uh, i am a billionaire i am a businessman i understand the economy i will fix this economy I run wall street trump can't do it you know, but i like, can i ran new york out of the recession you know like i got new york out of the recession Things like that. Like, there's things that he can say that would beat Trump on the economy. And honestly, the economy isn't looking too good right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's get into that a bit. <laughs> so why isn't the economy looking all that great right now? Well, we're having fun with the the entire global economy runs on what's called just-in-time logistics, which basically means that most, pretty much all retail outlets, like there's maybe a handful of exceptions in very specialized fields, maintain extremely limited stocks of inventory on hand or in nearby distribution centers because the assumption is there will always be continuous flow of goods being shipped in from China and South Korea, Japan, and other major manufacturing centers. To give you guys an idea of this fucking just-in-time shipping and how, like, just absolutely idiotic it is, every day at work, I send out a trailer, at least one trailer, that is less than half full, just so it gets there to its destination before, like, 7 p.m. Like, <laughs> it's, it's so much based on... Like, no one ever having to store things. Because it keeps inventory costs down. Like, that's why whenever you see, like, news coverage of a major disaster, within days, the grocery stores are always picked clean because most grocery stores only actually have, at most, like, 48 hours worth of stock on hand. There's no big warehouse districts anymore. You remember that warehouse district in your city? Notice how it's all loft apartments now? That's because no one is keeping anything in storage anymore. Yeah, there's like one Walmart distribution center. There's one Amazon fulfillment center. There's one 
there's one or two distribution centers for the local grocery stores and that's and the thing is those aren't meant to be like a stockpile of goods that the local places can call upon those are distribution centers they go product goes in product goes out it's just a sorting and there is like a time where things are set down and left to like be stored but it's usually a very very short time a couple days and why this is all a problem right now is because of uh, the the indirect impact of the spread of coronavirus in china and now most recently south korea and some cases reported in japan and it's worth pointing out the problem is not suddenly lots of people are dying or ill or are unable to go to work like so far from reported cases the mortality rate for coronavirus is only like two or three percent which is i mean still that's i mean there's a lot of people who are being diagnosed and dying from this but compared to like the spanish influenza which killed as many people as the first world war in from 1917 to 1919 which had 20 percent mortality it, yeah. it's not going to be like the four horsemen of the apocalypse riding across the planet on its own the problem is the quarantine procedures have massively disrupted Chinese production and shipping. And now as of February 20th, the mayor of Seoul, South Korea, after a spike in reports of coronavirus in the city, called for a voluntary quarantine of a city of two and a half million people and a major center of manufacturing for electronics and auto parts. The quarantine isn't necessarily stopping things from being made. What it is, though, is that it creates these barriers of movement when our entire retail economy, our entire, like, productive economy at this point now, even car parts and stuff, is based upon this last-minute shipping, you know? I can get into that a little bit. So... If you keep it up at all with like tech news, you know that the iPhone SE2, or as some are calling it, the iPhone 9, will be coming out soon. Now, Chinese fabs are still doing fine. Um, it turns out that when you expose a silicon wafer to a bunch of highly toxic chemicals, UV light, intense heat, they're sterile. No coronavirus could possibly survive on a wafer or on the resulting chips. And so those are safe to transport from province to province, even if you pass through a um, quarantined province. The problem is final assembly. See, the iPhone 8 is what the iPhone 9 is going to be based on. It's going to be like the iPhone SE where they basically took a new logic board with the chipset from the 6S and put it into the 5S, and they sold it as a new product, the iPhone SE. Um, there are very few differences. Uh, you can even reuse a lot of parts in repairs. And stuff. So the major problem is that everything stops in the Lunar New Year. Everyone knows about this. For like two weeks, there was no manufacturing going on, or there might as well not be. Everyone prices this in. This is well known. Nobody expects anything to get done during that week. In China, New Year is basically like American Christmas and Thanksgiving 
and I mean like a little bit of Halloween and Fourth of July all rolled into one. It's a pretty dope yes, holiday. Yes. Like everyone goes back to see their family and they exchange gifts and set off fireworks and stuff and it's uh it's pretty cool and fun. Yeah. So it's like nobody expects anyone to be back for like a week. Nobody expects production to fully resume for two weeks. And then the fucking coronavirus happened. That blew everything out of the water because what ended up happening was they enforced, because it's a state holiday, you get it off and you get a block of time off before and after it so that you can actually, you know, train out to the countryside to see your family or whatever. And so they basically delayed all of that because you know you don't want people moving around during a coronavirus outbreak you want people to stay where they are you don't want people spreading the virus into vulnerable populations and all sorts of fun stuff like they managed to mostly lock it down to one province the problem is is that this completely fucks everything they had already been having production problems with the iphone 8 they have from my understanding they have already stopped production on the iphone 8 logic board there are only so many a11 chips to go around most of them have already been used for previous production and it takes time to sub a fab to do another run of them they would rather focus their fab capacity on building a13 and all the other chips that they normally use for their product. So why is this relevant? This is because what's going to happen in the end of March, there's going to be an iPhone launch event. There is a very good chance that that event will either be delayed or they will have to paper launch it. Because frankly, the time to get those iPhones onto the docks at Shenzhen and get them shipped to the United States or to the European Union was yesterday. That didn't happen because yesterday is when they resumed production at Foxconn. So there's not enough inventory. Okay. So because of the travel restrictions, people hadn't gone to yeah. the factory yet even. And production hadn't resumed. And so now the launch is delayed, which is going to... That's supposed to be a, a quarter one launch, right? Yeah, that's their big core one launch event. If they have to defer it, they have had to defer it um, more than once. Like they lost a big, huge shipment of like, I want to say like the 4S or something, just basically lost it at sea. And so they basically had to produce another whole batch because the thing about Apple is they do not like to do so-called paper launches. They'll launch products of like 5,000 SKUs and then just wait for production to catch up and leave customers high and dry. They don't like doing that because while like... What? Because they're not Nintendo? <laughs> Because it's like, at some point, you know, they're going to be like, you know what, I'm just going to buy the older product. And then they're moving existing inventory. And when production catches back up, they can't move this new inventory because you've already replaced your phone. Oh, okay. So, so they're, they're missing this like window where they could be selling this phone. And now, yes. And and so, like, exactly how reliant is Apple on these, like, releases? 
I, I would say that that's like their primary thing, yeah. right? Like, here's the thing. The iPhone 8 is their current cheapest option. It is $349 for the 64 gig. It's going to be $449 for the larger one. I want to say $128 or 256 So are they not selling the SE anymore? They haven't been selling the SE about a year. It's really frustrating because I, I actually kind of wanted one. The whole plan with iPhone 9 was that they were going to release basically an updated iPhone 8 as their cheap flagship phone. But what can happen is if they have to delay the launch to the WWDC, which is quarter two, uh, their June conference, where they you know talk up the new iOS and macOS version, and it's basically their big software conference. They have launched products there before, but they don't like to do that. They prefer to wait for the fall event or the spring event. So the problem is that right now there isn't much iPhone 8 production going on. There's certainly not any happening now because they need to use all of those iPhone 8 sub-assemblies for iPhone 9 production. Because remember, there's not a lot of physical difference between the two phones. The home button might be different. The logic board is certainly different. But those are the only two components. Everything else is going to be exactly the same. But if you don't have enough logic boards, it doesn't matter if Foxconn has like 2 million of these sub-assemblies sitting right there ready for them to assemble. It doesn't fucking matter because the, the heart of the phone is the logic board. And if that's not there, if they don't have any on hand, no iPhone 9 production happens at all. Okay, so and so this delayed iPhone nine release or SE two. This is this is bad for like Apple's stocks. This is bad for their yeah their like reports, their profitability reports. You know, but like this isn't this won't kill the economy no but this is like yeah this is just one example of all the little things that get fucked when the manufacturing sector experiences a delay like this and honestly the reason apple is so worried and the reason they posted a lower revenue expectation for quarter two is because if they run out of iPhone 8s, the next highest option is something like $600. And that completely drops out the bottom of the iPhone market. And they make a lot of their sales on those lower-end SKUs. Like, not everyone has the money to pop for, you know, an iPhone 11 Max with, with all of the NAND. Like, <laughs> most people can't afford that. They can't afford, like... $1,200 for a smartphone. They can afford 400 Wait, are, are you telling me... Are you telling me that the average American isn't busting bands and throwing fucking Benjamins everywhere? <laughs> yes, yes. And this also means that they missed the last of the American tax refund win. Oh, yeah. Shit. Because, you know, all the people who have been sitting on their refund check to get a new iPhone, like, they can get an iPhone 8 now while supplies last because there aren't going to be any new iPhone 8s. Or they might go for the iPhone 9, but they're not going to go buy, like, a fucking 11 Max just because it's in stock. They're not going to do that. That would be stupid. And this isn't just hitting Apple. Like Jaguar just reported that because of these quarantines, they are operating at a two-week 
inventory part deficit. Not like today, too weak. And in manufacturing of stuff like cars, jets, that mm -hmm. kind of deficit means you're not going to be recovering to your normal production levels until like fourth quarter. Yeah. And that's uh -huh. way too late for holiday sales, summer sales. Like you're basically going to be eating shit for three quarters because of a two week deficit that may actually be getting bigger because of the voluntary quarantine in Seoul. And when this hits Japan, it's going to be even more disruptive because we know when in the wake of Fukushima, a number of specialized auto plants in Japan were forced to temporarily shut down for two days. And that was long enough to send stocks tumbling throughout the auto industry. Yeah. And furthermore, we're seeing this not just like spread into Japan. We're not just seeing this spread into Korea. We're starting to see this in, you know, uh, in Indonesia. We're seeing it in the Philippines. Mm -hmm. It's spreading along the Pacific Rim. And also the UK. Our economy, we've, yeah, the UK. It's in uh, British Columbia. It's in Washington. It's and so these quarantines, which if it was like, you know, if we we're a U.S. economy busting three percent, and the Chinese economy was like, you know, staying at that good old eight percent and stuff like that, the the hit would happen, and it would provoke like, like two quarters of recession, mm -hmm. and we'd be back to normal. Yeah. We bump up to like a 5% growth in one quarter and stuff like that. But a lot of these fundamentals are fundamentally not there right now. Yeah. We've talked about this in previous episodes, but the end is nigh and everyone should repent. <laughs> yeah, like this is going to hit particularly with so what's going to make this fun is as of 2019, and this figure has gone up since then the total estimated size of all privately held debt in the world which is you know your credit cards your auto loans your home mortgages your business loans your student debt your medical debt you know all that stuff that's basically not held by a government is like around 240 trillion dollars yeah which is like three times okay. the size of the global economy and Okay. A lot of these, a lot of retail right now, like they're already in a bad way and soaked to their eyeballs in debt just to stay functional. They can't eat shit for two quarters. These retail companies are before coronavirus. Retail was shitting the bed. Like we're seeing the closing of fuck, how many Macy's, how many Bed Baths and Beyonds, you know, like how many? Like, like it was a couple hundred each. Like, they were laying off yeah. thousands of people and shutting hundreds of stores. This isn't, like, minor cutbacks here. Yeah, no, these companies are, they're getting mangled. Yeah. And that's before these results from the manufacturing cuts and delays are coming through to their end. Something I should probably mention there, if this kind of helps you visualize it a little... There was, before any cases of, like, coronavirus or whatever popped up in South Korea, one of the Samsung Fab's DRAM NAND units, it suffered a power cut on New Year's Day. One minute was all it took to destroy several million worth of inventory. And because of that, DRAM prices 
and NAND prices are expected to rise by about 40%. It wasn't just because of this, but it was all these little things adding up to we're not going to meet our target because they had to throw like like millions of dollars worth of wafers that cannot be turned into product because when you know you're doing these massively complicated photolithography things if the beam just stops in the middle there's nothing you can do about it you can't restart the process you have to scrap all of that and and that's like that's just normal <laughs> that's just normal foundry shit that's just it's just a fact of life like that's like there's these huge wastages and you know th- this whole coronavirus quarantine thing and these delays it's yeah no if you actually lose power for a minute you know you're losing like millions and now that we've got this you know, much more major crisis, they're going to wish it was just that little power cut. Well, in the middle of all this, HSBC, who is one of the biggest banks in the world, like they are the biggest bank in Europe, and they're easily one of the largest in the world, has announced on February 18th that they are cutting 35,000 jobs and are liquidating $100 billion in assets as they're basically pulling back credit lines throughout the U.S. and Europe and shutting down operations in many places. HSBC, oh, shit. Yeah, that's... Uh, that, like, that's one of the biggest banks. In the wait, business. like, like th- this whole, like, the economy is doing great thing is just such a fucking illusion. You're seeing, like, the biggest bank of Europe cut 35 thousand jobs this is a single employer cutting thirty-five thousand jobs these are like high paying would be like the equivalent of shutting down factories in terms of the impact on their surrounding communities yeah they're liquidating 100 billion in assets which it's like two is a lot <laughs> like that's more that's yeah that's almost two bloomberg's worth of assets that they're just trying to get rid of if this is what like a booming economy looks like I really don't want to know what it looks like after a fucking fucking manufacturing delay of two weeks, you know? It's it's not looking good, folks. We're going to keep predicting uh, 10 out of the last two recessions. But, but really, this one is this one is coming. There's a lot of fundamental problems even the economist and the bloomberg news wire were talking about this in december like they were already releasing stuff saying what you need to do in the event of a recession and that they both started their articles with all indicators basically say there's probably going to be a recession within the next year yeah this is before any of this was happening the thing i find fascinating with this wall street journal article is they've already got a lot of their profit is already in asia so a lot of their exposure is also in Asia. <laughs> what happens if the bottom drops out of the Chinese economy? Then, well, they'd go down the toilet. That's all there is to it, because the bulk of HSBC's business has always been in East Asia. Like, that's been their bread and butter since, like, the fucking Shanghai concession and the Opium War. Is it just to shovel more money into this mess? There's they, there's no money after that. They can't. Wall Street's going to need another bailout. 
before this is all over. In the first bailout, part of what happened was the government basically bought all of the different toxic assets that Wall Street couldn't move because they were absolute junk and worth absolutely nothing. Triple A crap. And... The other part of it was quantitative easing, which was where the British government, the American government, also to an extent the ECB, dropped interest rates to pretty low levels. Like the Fed has only just recently started bringing the baseline interest rate on the dollar above 1% within the last year. And this was a drop from like 5 or 6%, which means basically you're increasing like you're basically decreasing the cost of lending money really dramatically. Mm-hmm. But now we're at 1%. You don't have that kind of room to fuck around with monetary policy that you do if you're sitting at 5 or 6%. And the reason they couldn't bring it back up faster is because all they really did was the bailout and a little bit of stimulus money and that's it, the whole jobless recovery. So there wasn't enough money coming back in. So credit just had to keep getting pumped out to keep things moving because if they raised the interest rates, it would have shown how fragile the recovery actually was. Yeah. That it was mostly just fucking paper. Yeah. No, the thing is that since the bailout, like they just haven't turned off the bailout. That's basically what it is. Like they've yeah. been on the anti-recession measure measures since 2008 since 2009 and what's happened you've seen in europe is that they don't have the like these individual countries don't have the sovereignty to control their monetary policy and to uh issue this currency and this constant low level of bailout for banks and finance and so you're seeing them stagnate because there's no real growth and you're seeing places like, you know, Italy have like 1% growth over the past decade, you know, and it's not good. This is like, we're looking at like a, we're looking at like a world Japan situation where like the whole developed economy of the world gets knocked down to Japan level growth. We all get a lost decade. Yeah. It, Best case. Well, that's what we already had. Yeah, we've already had... A second one. A we worse just one. had the lost decade. This one was really fucking bad, people. <laughs> I, I still... I don't know. I think this is going to be worse. I think because of the way finance has leveraged itself and put out all these different, like, insurance contracts and shit to basically keep all this moving and keep all this spinning. Like, part of why, like, for example, 2008 was so devastating for finance was because one of the biggest insurers for Wall Street, AIG, went under. And that left everybody massively exposed to even greater levels of risk. And nobody wanted to fill that role again. Nobody wanted to be AIG2 in, like, 2018, you know? No. And there's nowhere near enough in terms of shit like credit default swaps or other forms of financial insurance to actually pay out on all the nominal contracts or even a significant portion of the nominal contracts that are out there. Like this is because these instruments were never really dealt with systematically. Like in 2015, they were already selling repackaged CDOs as bespoke tranche opportunities, which is, you know, from the big short dog shit wrapped in cat shit. You know, I love boofing tranche. That's gotta be like one of my favorite highs. (laughs) 
<laughs> my plug, he gets me tranched all the time. <laughs> all this just basically fucking sorcery. Because that's the only way to describe this shit. It's fucking black magic. Is, again, bound up these record levels of debt. Because this, like, 240 trillion figure, that's bigger than what it was in 2008, just before the crash. The derivatives market is bigger and more volatile than it was in 2008. Like, all these same underlying problems in finance, which were never really dealt with by Obama or Cameron. And then Trump went, yeah, I'm just going to, like, take these anemic little breaks off the bike. China has been like 75% of world economic growth since 2000. Like, things aren't looking good. Yeah. And especially because China is starting to sputter. We're starting to see China finally slow down. And I'm not thinking, I'm not one of those like uh, China doomers where, you know, they've been predicting since 1980 that China is going to just like, their economy is going to collapse any day now, you know? Like, those red Chinamen, they're gonna fucking finally fail at the economy like they're destined to. I don't think it's like that. I think that a failure of the Chinese economy means bumping down to 3 or 4% growth annual. And most of that growth being financial monetization growth type stuff. You know, I think they're gonna run into... The problem that the United States and Soviet Union had in the 1970s where it's just like they're running out of fucking ways to invest. There's there's no way to actually produce more, you know, and yeah, not without giving up their capital controls, basically. Yeah. And, and so what happens is China expects to need those to manage the current crisis. Yeah. That. Yeah. The, the West. And it's power. part of how they Retain control of the entire process. Yeah, the Western powers, their solution to fucking not being able to, you know, increase fucking actually productive economic growth was to offload it to China. So. Yeah, and now China's hitting a wall. Yeah, and now China's hitting a wall. And so what what's going to happen? Like, is is there going to be like a huge African boom after this maybe but the financial tools for that were created in a situation where nothing 250 and now we're at like 100 on and you can't go past 100 you can't go past this like maximum financialization done where it's just all of the economic growth is just made up and people are trying to figure out how to keep those numbers moving because eventually you're gonna catch up to it there will be an accounting you know there will be an audit and or there will be a futures contract voided because the asset didn't show up on time yeah and then a major bank cuts thirty five thousand. you know like <laughs> and then what, what what about the banks that have invested in hs you know like and also anyone who's insuring hsbc anyone who's done like got assets with them like this is something that is gonna hit like hsbc going under would be comparable to lehman brothers or merrill lynch yeah it's and there probably is a lehman for hsbc's merrill that's Mm -hmm. waiting to pop oh yeah and they're not like somewhat another 
bit too big to fail bank is going to get sucked up in this because when you're as big as HSBC, everyone does business with you. Yeah, and and what are you and what are you going to do? And what is the government going to do to bail them out? They they're already just shoveling free money at them, and like they well, and turns out do more. Yeah, they, you can't like they, they'll they'll just work. throw more money at them and then nothing will happen. That's the thing. Yeah, like. They'll, and nobody liked the first bailout. Yeah, they'll they'll do this like trillion, two trillion, three trillion dollar bailout to just be like banks, lend all the money you can, and they'll be like, but we still won't make a profit. You know? Yeah. We're not looking at a profitable yearly overturn, even when you hand us all this money. Like we're not going to make yeah. a profit on this money. So we're just going to cash out right now, you know? And this will also reverberate down into retail, too, because all these retailers that are going to be going bust, that's a lot of loans that are going to be in default or bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of capital that's about to go poof, that's tied up in real asset. That's a lot of consumption that's not going to be happening. That's uh, yeah. demand going unfulfilled. That's futures not meeting their contracts. It's... it's- it's 1929. Yeah, we're, we're looking at a 1929 situation. And the only solution is worker power over the economy. Because um, <laughs> other than that, you're just following the demands of capital, which is just this infinite profitability, this infinite consumption, this infinite growth, this infinite demand, and infinite production, It's in, which is impossible to maintain. And every so often the illusion breaks and they realize, oh, we can't just make an unlimited amount of fucking TVs and people will buy them. You know, you you can't have these fucking, it's a crisis of overproduction. And what happens is that, yeah, eventually like capital gets so intensive that, you know, the cost of a good is so low that you can't invest more into selling it otherwise you're not making any money anymore and you have to either cut labor costs or increase demand and demand has a limit there is a limit to demand people don't want a tv in their bathroom people don't want five switches people don't want multiple cars per person they don't want that and they can't afford it because at, at the, the same time as you try <laughs> demand, at the same time as you try to increase demand, you have to cut labor costs. As competition goes on, as capital in capital investment intensifies, you have to increase demand and decrease labor costs to maintain profitability. But those over a large scale are inherently incompatible. Unless the crisis of overproduction happens and we have a crash like this. You know? And we've got the financial system ready to make the same mistakes faster and bigger. Yeah, because that's the only way it can operate. I think we should just move on <laughs> and uh, let's get to that. Let's get to that good stuff. There's been a lot of yeah. uh, union organization recently. Keep up in the labor news. There's, uh, you know, the Kickstarter unionization. Uh, apparently, the Young Turks oh, yeah. just tried to unionize. Yeah. There's a lot of uh, media and tech unionizations 
the current unions are getting more militant. You know, we're seeing Safeway voting for, in D.C., uh, you're seeing Safeway workers voting for strike authorization and stuff like that. It's really good. You know, you see that even though the economy is doing well, uh, workers aren't feeling it and they're getting more militant in response to it. And so there is some major hurdles to that worker militancy. And often they are in our own very union. The reactionaries are coming from inside the house. And in the Teamsters Union, in the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, we've got James Hoffa Jr. The actual... Wasn't his dad, like, buried in, like, a stadium or something? Involuntarily? His dad mysteriously disappeared and is not in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, frozen cryogenically until we can finish his mech. And so, James Hoffa Jr. is basically a total shithead. Jimmy J, he came to the presidency of the IBT based entirely off of his dad's name and connections from his dad. It, it, this guy is not like a union organizer. He is a fucking legacy. And in the 80s, he made his fucking name by surrendering the Teamsters to UPS. In a time where... uh Unions were being busted and everything. He just rolled over. And what he did was he created, he allowed the creation of two different tiers in the union in UPS. And that's the part-timers versus full-timers, aka inside versus outside. And that's been a real drain on both the Teamster Union and the workers inside the Teamster Union. Because... Our turnover is fucking, like, annual 90% in some places, you know? The job's really hard, mm -hmm. and we get paid less than these fucking guys in the trucks. And that's Hoffa's fault, and that goes back to the fucking 80s. And the part-timers back then, they got paid, like, minimum wage. They got paid $7 and stuff. And he really fucked us. And so... That tradition carried on, actually. Eventually, us Teamster workers, we, you know, organized ourselves and our locals, and we had a, uh, we had a contract negotiation in 2018. We fucking voted for a strike authorization, and then we rejected the contract. We rejected the contract by a 55% vote. Nice. And so we authorized the strike vote. That was like a full authorization huge turnout everyone was just like it was like a 90 percent vote to authorize fucking a strike if the negotiations went back. and at the end of negotiations we saw the contract we voted on it and 55 percent rejected the contract because what we wanted was this gradual evolution of the fucking part-time full-time inside outside dichotomy this two-tiered union structure it was a really good vote we fucking did it you know but according That's to awesome. <laughs> yeah it really is um yeah and so that was rejected by the membership but hoffa and the guy who organized the who who was like the primary negotiator uh what's his name dennis taylor he's the primary negotiator and they fucking 
betrayed us. What happened is they, the leadership of the union unilaterally accepted the contract. They were able to do that legally because turnout was low. It was what? less than 50% of members voted on a con on the contract. And if less than 50% then vote on the contract, then it requires a two-thirds vote to say no. And what the fuck? Yeah. And so Hoffa and Taylor fucking went forward with it. Uh yeah. It's yeah. And that's our current contract. That's our current contract. A lot of people are are not too pissed about it. We've got a good contract compared to other sectors of the economy. You know, we've got a $15 minimum wage. We've got a health plan that is literally referred to by legislators as a Cadillac plan because it covers everything and costs us nothing. But that wasn't the point of that contract negotiation. We'd already gotten pretty much every all of those stuff. We got a small raise for the lowest earning members. But they've created a third tier, too. That was one of the fucking Hoffa concessions, was they created these part-time drivers. So now there's drivers who make less than the rest of the drivers and work on weekends. And this just started now. It, it started, like, two years into the contract stuff, but it's it's really fucked. Hoffa really fucked us. And he fucked us so bad, we've actually started organizing in the union. And we've started uh, Teamsters for a Democratic Union. And we've got, like, a party within the union now. And we run candidates at fucking union elections. And we win the elections. We almost won the last election. Even before uh, Hoffa did the major betrayal. The TDU has expanded significantly since the UPS betrayal. And the next elections are in 2021. And the reason I bring this up is because Hoffa has declared he's running again. He uh... he won by like a total of like 400 votes in the last election. He barely won. It was a, I, I believe in our voting process. I believe he legitimately won, but it was so close that like, I don't think he should win this time. <laughs> he's fucked us so bad. And I really... I'm looking forward to seeing the TDU candidate, which hasn't been decided yet. I'm looking forward to the TDU winning the presidency of this international union, this fourth largest union in America, and what I believe to be the second most powerful after the Longshoremen. Those guys are awesome. Uh... <laughs> Fucking imagine, like, a Teamsters running and operating with the longshoremen that's exactly what we can imagine because this is the path the teamsters have been on for a while jimmy hoffa wasn't able to stop us from leaving the fucking afl you know we are a more radical union as the rank and file we are a radical union like the ilwu and we authorize mm -hmm. strikes with like 90 percent vote we are ready to strike we're ready to do industrial action, and the leadership is what prevents us. And that's why the TDU is so important, and why TDU leadership in locals, why TDU leadership in uh, our regional joint councils, T 
TDU leadership in the joint councils, TDU leadership in the locals, and TDU leadership on the international level is so important because we will see stuff like those fucking everyone hears about oh the ILWU they're le- they're a labor aristocracy they make like a hundred grand a year well they make that because that's the actual value of that's what these productive this is what that fucking line looks like when you see that that graph that everyone passes around with wage growth versus productivity growth when you keep that wage growth aligned with the productivity growth you get those eighty thousand. You get those $100,000 salaries. You get that with full benefit. And when you combine a TDU victory with a Bernie Sanders victory, you're starting to see some major gains for labor in the United States and possibly some actual radical organization. And you're seeing it, like, spill out beyond the Teamsters, too. Oh, yeah. And the ILWU. Yeah, no, no, we're seeing that, like, there's just a general radical labor movement right now. Socialists are becoming the primary force in labor organizing now, once again, which hasn't been true since the Great Depression. And and you're seeing things like the wildcat strike by graduate TAs at UC Santa Cruz, which is still ongoing. Like The GTAs basically all just went on strike because they can't afford to live on GTA pay in Santa Cruz and still go to school. So And they've been like sending in riot police and shit to break them up. Yeah, we're we're seeing actual labor militancy that hasn't been seen since, well, the w- wave of labor militancy that caused Taft-Hartley to be passed. And if you're looking at uh, unions, you can call the Teamsters for basically any job. That Like, Teamsters and ILWU, if you've got, like, a list of names of people who will join your union in their majority, you can call either one of them up and they will organize you if their local is up to it. There's no professional or trade restrictions, you know? Damn. Yeah. There's a fucking Teamsters local, which is marijuana farm down in California, you know? There's... Yeah, ILWU just organized a restaurant in San Francisco. Yeah, exactly. They're... Nice. We're organized... <laughs> The new idea that even Hoffa supports is just to organize anyone who wants to join the union, which is a very radical industrial organization tactic that is just basic. It's just basic self-preservation for unions now. It's basically the IWW. Yeah, it, it's the it's the same tactic as the IWW, which, I mean, for me, calls into question what are we using the IWW for? And, you know, there is, they do have a very explicit standpoint of worker versus capital, which is very nice. And they are explicitly organized as a federation, which is also nice. But when you're looking at stuff like the Teamsters, where we have, like, a legal fund that runs in the tens of millions, you know, it's, like, the Teamsters and the ILWU can stand up to the most powerful corporations in the world. And the ILWU can stand up to the goddamn federal. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, they've consistently, like, from a legal standpoint, used all kinds of, basically, chicanery to get away with solidarity strikes, which are banned under Taft-Hartley. 
Like they've done stuff like stop the shipment of of armaments to South Africa during apartheid or like shipments of goods to like Israel and Palestine and all kinds of other things that are technically like solidarity boycotts, which are banned and they're not supposed to do. But they've consistently done this like for years. The ILW has a history. It organized fairly spontaneously after the labor rights act or i remember what it was. well because it started in like working in the docks in san francisco yeah in like, like 1933 and after after roosevelt the after roosevelt passed the law that said that you can form <laughs> basically well and they were organizing before that and like they were big in like the san francisco general strike and yeah like big strike actions in seattle like they were and harry bridges was a wobbly before he started the started with the ILWU. Yeah, yeah, that that's the thing. We're seeing the ILWU was founded by communists, by wobblies, by just a bunch of hardcore socialists who believed strongly that labor is the source of all value and the interests run counter to capital. So the ILWU has such a strong tradition. It's never been part of any of these uh, shitty labor federations. And it, uh, and you see from the example of the ILWU that a union that just says, fuck it, and strikes whenever it doesn't get what it wants, wins. That's what happens. If you are rock solid in your convictions against capital, and that you don't need to compromise. Labor will win because we have all the power. Yeah. And I had just like possibly like blessed moment for a second just imagining what labor in the US would look like if Hoppe got tossed out of the TDU and then the TDU and the ILWU got together and were like, hey, let's like set up a new game to compete with the AFL CIO. And actually do this right. Like, let's make a new CIO. Oh, the like the the IBT, the International Brotherhood of Team, International Longshoremen and Warehouse uh, Union. If they just, if we just worked together and cooperated on strikes and contract, it would absolutely demolish any kind of resistance to any possible policies even through congress it really would the teamsters and the ilwu together run they run every single unionized warehouse in the country pretty much there's a couple seiu but in general it is an ilwu and teamster logistics chain throughout the united states so yeah so any kind of strike would just demolish. It would require like martial law and shit, you know? Yeah. Like, Which if well like just the airline workers threatening to strike during the government shutdown was enough to get Trump and Congress to blank. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Like they didn't even shut down air travel. They just went, Look, you're not paying us, we're kinda done. And we're gonna walk out tomorrow if you don't. And they immediately went, Oh shit. Like, there's going to collapse the economy if air traffic stops for a day. Which is why electing Bernie would be a nice idea. I think Bernie wouldn't crush strikers. I think he would support strikers in a very 
wild way that like no previous president ever came close to and that's really my like that's my greatest wish from 2020 is that bernie gets elected and just starts just giving like a blank check to every single country well so uh what we're saying is at the end of the day vote bloom no matter who bloomberg 2020 uh <laughs> take the black pill option yeah we'll we'll just like fucking you know just run some kind of underground railroad to canada <laughs> you know to get people who drink big sodas out of the country to escape the death squads <laughs> so yeah uh, watch out for your tea leader guys this has been chop shop economics